Hello, and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to talk about Fortnite, or more particularly, the Fortnite business model that has resulted in some crazy stuff over the past couple of years, including Thanos appearing in respect of the Avengers Infinity War game, and most recently, a concert from a rap artist called Travis Scott, which appeared or wound up appearing in Rolling Stone of all places and is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about it today. So in this article from Rolling Stone, it says, I've never played Fortnite, but was forced to attend Travis Scott's Fortnite concert. So you know you're in for a good article whenever you see the phrase forced to attend. Then the subheading here says, one intrepid writer attempted to understand the wildly popular battle royale game and hear a new Travis Scott song. It didn't go well. On Monday, Travis Scott ruined my life. That was the day the rapper announced he would be holding a concert in Fortnite, the wildly popular battle royale game, and my editor informed me that I would be covering it. My response was immediate. Not going to lie, this is my worst nightmare, I wrote. Yes, he typed back. For as long as I can remember, organized camaraderie, loud noises, and any video game that wasn't catching pocket-sized animals ranked among my worst anxieties. It's very interesting, right, when you talk about a periodical like Rolling Stone, obviously focused on music, but also focused on pop culture, as we are here in virtual legality, sending someone that apparently describes video games as among their worst anxieties into a video game to report on a musical event. Now, sometimes I think these periodicals or these websites do that because the effect is, as we will see here in the article, somewhat humorous, right? That this person doesn't like video games. They wind up describing their experience in a, in a fun way, in a humorous way. But oftentimes that fun and anxiety-filled way doesn't really kind of match up with our understanding of what the actual event is or what the game is, if we're familiar with the video game in question. And that's really the case here with respect to Fortnite. But bear with me. This is only a jumping off point for what I really want to talk about here, which is the metaverse and Fortnite and Epic Games in particular kind of moving forward with trying to make the Fortnite game product even bigger than it currently is. And by experimenting with all these different collaborations, they wind up in places like Rolling Stone or the Washington Post or CNN because of how effective their experimentation has so far been. Rolling Stone describes it as follows. It's hard to overstate how popular this collaboration, dubbed Astronomical, was. According to Alpha Data, which powers the Rolling Stone charts, Travis Scott saw an immediate and significant bump in listeners following the announcement, not even the presence in the game. On Monday and Tuesday, Scott's streams increased by 26%, with some hits jumping over 50% ahead of the Fortnite show. As this author says, the kids really love that game. They really do. There's a lot to love in Fortnite, and... Just following the business model here and imagining the licensing and everything else that goes into it from a corporate law perspective is absolutely fascinating. So at 6 p.m. on Thursday, two white claws deep, I downloaded the video game that up until that point I had avoided all knowledge of. The only thing I knew about it was that it animated dances from black teens without compensation, which wasn't helpful when it came to getting to the Travis Scott show. Now, fortunately, like The Simpsons, virtual legality has an episode for that. If you're at all interested in whether or not Epic owes these folks that are creating these dances compensation, I will spoil it for you a little bit. The answer is all likelihood no. 
but check out the virtual legality we did all the way back at the start of this thing in December of 2018. This is actually virtual legality number five, and it's called Epic Lawsuit Does Fortnite Infringe on Dancers' Rights? And you'll find in that video a discussion of copyright and how what Fortnite is doing with these dance moves doesn't really rise to the level of choreography. And so the current Copyright Act, which anybody is always welcome to kind of seek to have amended, doesn't cover the kind of concept that is the Carlton or the Turk dance from Scrubs or anything else that Fortnite has actually used and then sold. But I digress. It took two devices to get Fortnite to work. My download on a Nintendo Switch never managed to get past the display screen, perhaps overloaded because of the event. Instead, I downloaded it on my iPhone, which felt like a scorching brick after dedicating so much memory to whatever it is I'm doing here. So again, the understanding of this particular event from Rolling Stone comes from either a Nintendo Switch or an iPhone, which, you know, hey, I know a number of people that played on the Switch. I do, as a matter of fact. And I know a number of people that played on the iPhone, but I don't think either of those platforms could be seen as the best way to experience Fortnite. My first impression of Fortnite was a full-on sensory assault. The loading screen bombards you with enough advertisements to fill a thousand times squares. Everything is neon. Everything is seemingly for sale. Weapons, skins, and storylines. Deadpool was there. I highlighted storylines because it's unclear what in the world this person could be talking about. Because if he's playing it on his iPhone or his Switch, there isn't even the save the world mode, which means there's nothing really remotely resembling a storyline in Fortnite. Although I think the current season is spies, so maybe that got a little confused in the translation. For the uninitiated, Fortnite operates like a crazed prepubescent war zone. From the start, you are bombarded with the sounds of gunfire and beeping and honking and clanging, all in a world made up of graphics that seem ripped from that 1994 Canadian show Reboot. Now here I have to call a party foul because this is Reboot, folks. Uh, And I remember Reboot. Reboot was a fun little show from back in the day, but uh, Fortnite looks significantly better than the old Reboot show. Uh, I mean, credit where credit is due to Epic Games and Fortnite, right? You don't have to love the graphics in Fortnite. I know a number of people don't like kind of the cartoony makeup of it. They prefer something more realistic, like perhaps Call of Duty. But Reboot, it isn't. And before we kind of get into the metaverse discussion here, I think that's part of the importance of what we're talking about is Once you start hitting the mainstream with any kind of video game story, and I know video gamers are pretty familiar with this feeling, you get all of this kind of extra extraneous editorial content, right? Oh, it looks like reboot. Oh, it doesn't make any sense. Crazed prepubescent war zone. I ran behind a building. Everything seemed to want to kill me and I wanted to hide. The internet informed me that the concert would be surrounded by large golden Travis heads, just like the cover of Astroworld. Then I was parachuting out of a bus. And if this sequence of events is hard to follow, that's because I didn't understand what was happening either. And again, I think that's what this particular editor was looking for from a story like this was just kind of this person that isn't used to playing Fortnite, maybe isn't used to playing video games outside of Pokemon at all, and winds up describing things thusly. The third time I was resurrected, the Mountain Dew Mafia seemed to be coming down from their sugar rush. Right. The show was about to start, and the collected mini-scots awaited their king. Now, what's interesting about that is it seems to suggest in this article that these folks in Fortnite were dedicated to Travis Scott in particular, but the very first stat that they show that all of these sales, these streams of this music went up and up and up and up and up in advance of Fortnite suggests that Fortnite is the driver to Travis Scott 
and not the other way around, at least for this particular event, which is important. It's interesting because that's the value proposition for something like Fortnite, anybody that's trying to do these events in this space. And so by actually describing it as mini Scots awaiting their king, I think this particular author misses the point a little bit. These folks, for the most part, probably didn't have any specific personal investment in Travis Scott. What they had investment in was Fortnite, and Fortnite was bringing something new to their table, which is something that Fortnite is going to be able to do more and more and more into the future, which is one of the reasons why I named this, Is Fortnite the Future? When the explosion settled, a skyscraper-sized Travis, complete with bulging muscles and a lot of humping motions, began his performance. Now, if you haven't actually seen this, I might recommend in the middle of this video, you go check out a YouTube video of clips. I didn't want to take anybody's content for what they had captured of this particular concert themselves, but it is quite the thing. This particular paragraph here I felt was pretty good description of what actually occurred in the Fortnite space, so I will read it to you in its entirety, but please do check out any kind of clips you have of this because it really was an interesting kind of thing that Fortnite did. It wasn't limited to somebody performing on a virtual stage with virtual fireworks or anything like that. This particular concert experience essentially transformed the entirety of Fortnite in the way that only a virtual space can. And that's where some of this kind of genius, where I think a lot of people that are futurists that are looking towards the metaverse and video games and what they can bring to human society in the future, get excited. It says the experience, which lasted about 10 minutes, was more animated short film than concert. Scott's face melted away to reveal a robot skeleton that would make Schwarzenegger proud, and his giant avatar performed hits like Goosebumps through neon lasers and Highest in the Room underwater. It was overtly trippy, that it was. It felt like marketing. It always does. Even in the confines of a video game, Giant Travis was a detailed capitalist, making sure to wear an assortment of his coveted Jordan collaborations that currently fetch $500 to $1,000 on the resale market. In the game, the shoes appeared several stories tall. Now, I think this doesn't do it full credit here. Maybe that's because this author isn't used to video games. It absolutely is a short film. You know, it's not something that can be adjusted. It isn't an interactive experience insofar as that you can change it. But what did happen in Fortnite, as it happens with any other video game, and part of what I try to describe to people who aren't used to video gaming in general, is that just by being able to control the camera, where you are looking, what you are focusing on, what angle you are approaching this giant cosmic being from, that adds a certain amount of interactivity. And while it is a short film, it's a short film that you can see from any angle and from any place that you want to view it from. And that does make, in my experience, the player a bit of the author of this particular short film. And that's one of the things that Fortnite is experimenting with. And they're experimenting with, yes, in the vein of marketing and hugely expensive kind of productions that could maybe make both Fortnite and whatever it is that they are promoting a lot of money. To end the show, Travis went to space, bringing you with him whether you wanted to or not. He apparently introduced a new song. I wasn't familiar with Travis Scott's work, so I couldn't recognize it. If you had asked me to, and then... The bullet, where the rubber hits the road, according to a statement from Epic, over 12 million people watched Travis Scott's performance live, which is an insane number. And it goes to show exactly what Fortnite can bring to the table. So that's the article that kind of introduced this to me. Whenever these kinds of things in the world of video gaming or pop culture in general cross over 
go to a multi-stream site like Rolling Stone that isn't used to covering them. I always take special note because that means that something has happened. Something in the zeitgeist has occurred and it's worth noting, it's worth discussing in a place like virtual legality where we talk not just about law, but we talk about business and in particular video games and what it means to business in the future. Towards that end, there's a follow that I have on Twitter that I highly recommend if you're interested in these things at all. A fellow by the name of Matthew Ball who writes some of the best stuff, some of the best critiques and analysis of media, both video games, movies, television, music, and what they mean going into the future. Now, this particular person is uh, talking at a fairly high level, talking a lot about earnings and business and things along those lines. So you might not find it uh, as insightful or as interesting as I do personally, but I highly recommend it if you're interested in these things on the margins because he does do a good job kind of breaking these things down. He was the head of strategy for Amazon Studios for a couple of years, and he has worked in venture capital which if you're not familiar with it, are the folks that are trying to figure out what the future is and put their money into it first. Uh, Venture capital is the money that is very, very risky. Uh, A lot of venture capitalists have one success for five failures because they're betting on huge returns for very risky propositions that don't have necessarily a commercialization standpoint as it sits today. And so his analysis comes from that background of looking into the future, being a futurist, kind of talking about the things we talk about in virtual legality. And he did an article called uh, The Metaverse, where he talked about what it is that the metaverse is. And we've got here chapter one, what is the metaverse? Here, the metaverse is typically portrayed as a sort of digital jacked-in internet, a manifestation of actual reality, but one based in a virtual, often theme park-like world, such as those portrayed in Ready Player One and The Matrix. Now, you note that I put Ready Player One and the Matrix pictures in the thumbnail to this video. It's because I do think it's a useful kind of understanding point. As I said, Mr. Ball is, in my opinion, a genius, and he talks about a lot of interesting things, even when I disagree with him. But Ready Player One and the Matrix are good jumping off points for if you don't want to read through 20 pages of dialogue and and type about what he thinks the metaverse is. So when you think about things like Ready Player One, you think about a virtual avatar in a set of environments that maybe don't match up, but is persistent, right? That it opens up a world of people that can just interact, whether they're in Ohio or across the world, in one specific place on a persistent basis and play games, sure, but they can sell things, they can go to dances, they can have a world that is separate from this world. And in fact, in Ready Player One, which I you know, don't necessarily love as a narrative, The storyline is based around the value proposition of this thing, that one company has built what I believe is called the Oasis as the metaverse in Ready Player One, and when the founder of that Oasis dies, that all the players that play the game or that experience this metaverse go and seek out certain treasure hunts in order to take control of the Oasis because it is so very valuable. Similarly, in The Matrix, Uh, This is a little bit older than Ready Player One, of course, but in the late 1990s, the Matrix concept of an entirely virtual environment in which players could live, in which people could live, and maybe not even realize that they were in a virtual environment, was a newish one. Obviously, books had explored it, and certainly the concept of what your brain is in a computer had been explored in the 60s and even earlier in science fiction, but the Matrix really brought it to pop culture in a way that I think broke a lot of barriers. I remember actually watching an interview or a review on Good Morning America or something along those lines while I was preparing for uh, a school day in college. 
And the actual reviewer in that particular context basically gave it a terrible review because the concept didn't make any sense to them. And that the Matrix was completely unbelievable as something that you could actually interact with. And I think we're well past that now in 2020 rather than in 1999. But it goes to show you what pop culture does to kind of change people's expectations, to change what people think about in this space. Now, Mr. Ball here says that that, Ready Player One in the Matrix, is too limiting. He says this conception is limited in the same way movies like Tron portray the internet as a literal digital information superhighway made of bits. So if you're not familiar with the movie Tron, in that movie, there's essentially a, a player grid, a space where all these software programs can interact and the internet is kind of shown as being an information superhighway. And so he's saying that Ready Player One in the Matrix is essentially a proto version of what we are thinking of when we think about the meta universe because we don't have a great kind of concept for what that is, what that can be, what that will be in the very near future. Now, he has a couple definitions for the metaverse, which I do think that Fortnite and Epic Games in particular is aimed at as a particular goal. He says the metaverse will be persistent. It'll be synchronous and live. It'll have no real cap to concurrent participation, which is one of the things that is currently limiting Fortnite, right? If you're familiar with the Fortnite events, they generally have occurred either in a player space, which has a hundred limit uh, on the participants, uh, or have occurred in a space like this concert series, which I believe had 50 users as the limit to their participants. That's a technological hurdle, right? This whole metaverse concept is dealing with technological hurdles as well as creative ones. And so when you see something like Fortnite have to limit the participants to 50, that isn't their ideal but it is what is necessary for what they are putting out there into the world right now and the tech that they use to do it with. Be a fully functioning economy to have a separate kind of currency, a separate payment structure that can live within that space and potentially be transferable into real world economics. If you're familiar with Ready Player One, that happens a little bit in that narrative where the virtual currency gets exchanged for real currency in, in various ways and with various companies kind of sponsoring that transfer. Be an experience that spans both the digital and physical worlds. Offer unprecedented interoperability that, again, if you're thinking about Ready Player One, what he describes here, Mr. Ball, is your Counter-Strike gun skin, for example, could also be used to decorate a gun in Fortnite, that you build something somewhere and it can go into something else. That that interoperability is what creates a metaverse, creates a persistent, separate universe from our own. And be populated by content and experiences created and operated by an incredibly wide range of contributors. That this metaverse is a platform for other people's creativity, that it isn't so controlled. The Oasis in Ready Player One is controlled in terms of its infrastructure by one party, but clearly the creators, the collaborators that actually build things in that space, they might wind up paying royalties of some kind to the, the folks that want, run the Oasis, but they are able to create whatever it is that they want and have this wide range of contributions. One of the concerns with the metaverse, one of the things that people can't agree on with respect to definition is whether participants will have a single avatar, which seems unlikely, how much interoperability is required, whether a true metaverse can have only a single operator in terms of infrastructure, whether the Ready Player One model makes any sense. And while all of these things are interesting, they don't change the fundamental fact of a persistent alternate meta universe. Uh, he also goes on to describe things that aren't the metaverse. Just being a virtual world isn't a metaverse. Just being a virtual space, a virtual reality. These things already exist in part in games. You can go into a Final Fantasy XIV server and experience a virtual world. 
that doesn't create a synchronous meta environment that is separate and interoperable in, in reference to our real world. Uh, you need a digital and virtual economy, a game. Everything else that he talks about here, I think, is useful. Like I said, he goes on and on and on and on and on. I highly recommend following him. I highly recommend reading him. But we don't need to cover all of this to talk about Fortnite, right? Because what I wanted to talk about in this particular video is what we saw in Rolling Stone. We see people reacting to the existence of music concerts in this space. We see Fortnite becoming something more than just a battle royale game. As a matter of fact, one of the things that he doesn't reference but I put in my thumbnail is something that I think of when I think of the metaverse concept. If you're familiar with the book series Otherland... This is one of the things that I go back to when I'm playing video games and I think about what the future can be. And in this particular book series, Otherland is a virtual environment. It is a true metaverse, much like Ready Player One, but also more realistic, that there are things that can happen there that are uh, problematic for both reality and the virtual environment. I don't want to spoil any of the book, but this is what I think of. And it's certainly what I think of even in role-playing games, single-player experiences right now, about what they can be without additional guidance. The Witcher in particular, The Witcher 3, is one of those games that I think of as capturing some of the essence of being able to go anywhere, do whatever you want, live your own life, change your reality, change what the world is for you and your avatar in a way that a lot of games don't do. So I think the metaverse conversation is an interesting one, not just limited to Fortnite, not just limited to the real space, of what can be something like Ready Player One or The Matrix, but also something that people can take in terms of game design as to what experiences can be put forth. Another game that is similar to that is Zelda Breath of the Wild that kind of gives you this world and says, here you go. If you see something shiny, go find it. We're going to put things in there that are interesting to you, but it's otherwise your narrative. It's your world. And you might say, hey, that's existed since Grand Theft Auto 3 or what have you. But I think even there, that was a little bit more guided of an experience. And I think what we are looking at is worlds within worlds, people that can design things that give you this space in order to operate the way you want uh, and not necessarily be bound specifically by the quest lines or the subquests uh, or anything along those lines. So if you're interested in that, I know this has become a little bit of the Hoglaw recommendation series here. Try Fortnite, The Matrix, Ready Player One, also the Otherland book series. But I think there's a lot to interest you if you are interested in the things that we talk about in virtual legality regularly. Now, Matthew Ball also put together, I believe it was yesterday, a list of things that he thought were interesting about this Travis Scott concert. And I think it's an interesting list to dive into as well. I don't want to read it all. Again, I will link in the description to this video if you are interested in these kinds of things. But I do think he has a lot of important insights as to what this thing is doing, why it is a fraction of the future, why it is a step towards what gaming can be, maybe in my lifetime, maybe not, but certainly very exciting for those of us that like to think of these things, like to think about what the future can hold in interactive entertainment and just in human communication. It says, the Travis Scott times Fortnite event is commonly understood in comparison to prior Fortnite events, but instead it needs to be viewed as part of the Fortnite's testing and experimentation process slash journey. It is technically less impressive than prior events, but creatively much bigger. At its core, this event is an interactive cutscene, exactly as described by Rolling Stone, right? Players can't affect what's happening, but unlike playback video, the experience is in-engine, and thus you have some control over your character. Think of what you can or can't do on a roller coaster, right? Which is a great comparison. On a roller coaster, you can't control things. You're on a track, 
but you can move where your head is. You can ride it three different times, and if you're aiming to the right or aiming to the left or only looking up to the sky, you will experience it differently. And certainly on that last one, you might make yourself sick. And you can certainly make yourself sick doing weird things in Fortnite or other kind of first-person shooter video games, right? I think I made a friend sick once by just spinning the camera around. But you do have that limited amount of control. Real life has that effect. Watching a movie on YouTube or somewhere else doesn't have that effect. You can't see what's just off frame. You can't change the focus. So video games, even when they are kind of being short films, when they are doing something different, does give you more control. It does help make you a quasi-author of your particular experience. What's new is that the experience isn't game-like. It lacks game-like goals. Travis was a fully designed, immersive experience. The, the stage disappeared right away, with players taken to brand new places with different special effects. It was a guided experience like a concert, but far more was possible as it wasn't real. Right? For those of you who have been to music concerts, you know that a lot of them try to tell a story, try to link the music in a particular way, either to evoke certain emotions or to maybe even tell a, a light narrative in the middle of their concert. And that's what this did, except that they also weren't bound by things like physics or by what time of day it was. And so video games do present that kind of space to operate in. And I do think you're going to have virtual reality. You're going to have these kinds of things that can add even more to that. And I do think that there's a value in that. There's a market for that, especially when everybody is locked down, right? In the, in the age of coronavirus, we all want more experiences. We all want to pretend like we're outside. We all want to go to music concerts again and big venues and sporting events and things along those lines. So having a company like Epic kind of experiment with these things, and Epic isn't alone there. There are a lot of companies that are kind of dipping their toes into the waters of the metaverse and what virtual reality can be and what it means to kind of give these experiences rather than just have you fighting things, rather than just have you try to rack up a high score. And that is fun to think about. And Fortnite is on the cutting edge, not only because of what they've got in their engine, but also because of their willingness to spend money, their willingness to engage in these experiments that I love. Right? I've done a lot of videos about the Epic Game Store, how they're using Fortnite money to attack Steam. A lot of people come into my comments and say, oh, Epic Games is the devil. Look, you don't have to like the company. You don't even have to like uh, the company for any number of reasons. You might not like their Chinese investment. You might not like that they're attacking Steam. I think you still have to step back and respect that they're putting their money where their mouth is, that they aren't resting on their laurels, that they're using their Fortnite engine, that they're using the money that they've gained so far from Fortnite to try new things to advance the ball down the field. And I really do think that's worth kind of paying attention to. And when it starts hitting places like Rolling Stone, the Washington Post, or others, I think it, pays, it makes sense to pay attention to them even more. In other ways, Travis was less ambitious. Travis had far more complex animations than Marshmallow, but they were pre-made. The Star Wars event with J.J. Abrams and Jeff Keighley was a live reproduction of their in-real-life moves and voice, much higher technical risk and hurdle. Notably, Travis Scott was also capped at 50 concurrent users, probably due to technical limitations, but Travis still needs to be put in the context of everything that Fortnite is doing. In April, it launched a live movie theater showing QB Originals, Quibi, I never know how to pronounce that properly. Oh, well, I don't think it'll last too long, so I don't have to worry about it. In the fall, Fortnite's blackout represented an enormous transmedia social experience when it converted from Fortnite 1.0 to Season 2. 
Turning Fortnite off is the easiest thing the team can do, technically speaking, but it was also one of the boldest and least predictable creative moves. It wasn't about what was in Fortnite, but was around it. And ultimately, Fortnite doesn't want to be just an event producer, right? They aren't just selling advertisements to Marvel. They aren't just selling ads or promotion to the Travis Scotts of the world. They are experimenting with what their engine can do, what they can attract people to, and what kind of model something like Fortnite can be used for. Not only so that they can build it themselves, right? But because then they're at the forefront. They can consult with businesses, with other folks that are seeking this opportunity. They can help to guide what will be, in some level, the future metaverse, right? Mr. Ball here isn't just prognosticating our future, but the future's future. That something like this will exist someday, and Epic Games knows it. Everybody really knows it, but there's so many hurdles to go from here to there that Fortnite and Epic Games putting in the work is very, very useful to other businesses and other folks that will eventually want to kind of get involved with this, but don't want to right now. Let's see what else we've got here. It helps to have Fortnite promote, operate an event, but it's difficult to think of what else an artist can do to generate more press or find more new fans than this during or after COVID. You just can't buy millions of people spending 10 minutes fully immersed in your music, right? This is different than buying an ad on YouTube. This is different than even paying for some YouTube influencer to promote your thing for 20 minutes because it's them experiencing your thing and it's not their users experiencing their, your thing. So what you've wound up doing here is you've wound up incentivizing people for free, ostensibly in the Fortnite environment, to engage with your music, if you're an artist, and engage with it in a way that they can't elsewhere and in a way that is purely immersive. As he says, you can't buy that. 12 million people experiencing your music. Whether or not they wind up liking it is another story, but you've got the opportunity in a way that you just don't through other marketing platforms. These events all are all part of Fortnite marketing, not just the game to users, but its potential to businesses and creators. They want to be that consultant. They want to be helping people figure out how to sell these things. And yes, right now, they want to help people sell them. I really like number 16 here. This process is also very Disneyland. Walt proudly boasted about WED's participation in the World's Fair in the 60s. Its work helped build complex mechanics for third parties, etc. All is part of their R&D process. Walt Disney, if you go and you watch any of these documentaries or you just read about what this process was, used all of these opportunities to help figure out what was going to be Disneyland and ultimately Disney World and everything else. And he used these opportunities to help solve specific audio animatronic, robotic, ride-based problems. What exactly the boat ride would look like, how Small World would operate, what would happen at his park, and whether or not people would react to it. He essentially got paid to do research and development for his own products. And he would use these kinds of things also to help market things like ABC Network, right? And he would work in collaboration with these folks in order to fund what is he, what it was that he wanted to do when the banks would turn him away. And I think Epic doesn't have that problem, right? Epic is absolutely flush with cash. But even though they don't have that problem, they are using all of these opportunities in a very aggressive, very expansive, very experimental way, which if you're somebody like Matthew Ball or if you're someone like me here at Hogue Law, is very exciting. There aren't a lot of companies that just kind of put all their money where their mouth is and try these things. And so I'm very much in favor of Fortnite trying these things out. 
As he says, Fortnite HQ is constantly seeking out what they can do next to discover and to seed. The focus on what's next is also why, for all the success of Marshmallow and the Star Wars event, we haven't seen them redo these events with new musicians or intellectual property, let alone start a related events business. Many have doubtlessly offered tens of millions of dollars to do so. That's right, right? It's one of the things that's really, really interesting about Fortnite is if you follow these things, when Thanos appeared for Infinity War, I assumed they would do a thousand movie tie-ins because it was very popular because Fortnite is so popular right now in the space, but that really didn't coalesce. Instead, they started doing music concerts and I expect they will do something new next year or next quarter. And so what Mr. Ball is saying here is that they have undoubtedly been offered millions of dollars to do these kinds of things like they did with Star Wars and with Marvel and Infinity War and everything else, but they haven't just dived directly into that because they are experimenting and trying new and even better things. They're using the money that they earned to try to grow it, to try to make it bigger and more experimental and more interesting. And again, you don't have to like Epic, but you can respect what they are doing. To clarify, the above means we are likely to see more mashups and remixes, experiments. We will see massive characters powered by live mocap performances with live audio. Can also imagine this happening in the game itself as part of a finale, a finale to an end of a season, like was the end of season one. We saw giant titans fight on the map during a finale, for example, and we've seen players choose what happens during these finales and what items are unlocked during it. Imagine a version of this played by live actors taking cues from what players are doing in real time, right? That you could have motion-captured titans somewhere in a warehouse and Fortnite players shooting them in specific ways and having them react to it in a very real space and have this whole kind of thing be a proto-metaverse, something that proves a concept for what is possible in this space. He finishes off by going with the venture capital, right? He says, Epic continues to buy companies that can power these experiences, plus others focused on how these experiences are collaboratively enjoyed. For example, House Party, all the while it learns more about what's fun and not just what's fun, right? Games have long limited themselves to what is fun. And that isn't necessarily where Fortnite has to be an end. It's what's engaging. It's what's useful. It's what people remember. And yeah, to me, that's exciting. And it's not just exciting because you've got purple giants fighting around a Fortnite environment and taking people to space or underwater, but because the very real possibility of something like Ready Player One or The Matrix, hopefully with a little less death and a little less slavery, but these kinds of possibilities like Otherland, are so, so terribly exciting to me. And Fortnite, of all things, this cartoon battle royale that somebody at Rolling Stone thinks looks like Reboot might well be the first step into our collective future. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoyed this video, please like, please subscribe, please share, please ring bells, click all, whatever else it is that you think would be helpful to engaging with this content. Leave a comment upvote, downvote, whatever it is that might otherwise float your boat. Please do that for the channel. Let people know that we are here. We love talking about these things. Last week, we really focused primarily on social media and tech giants. We talked about the YouTube self-certification program. We talked about Twitter changing its rules to address 5G arson and Facebook changing its rules to try to squash down on anti-lockdown protesters. A lot of fun talk here, business, law, everything in between. If you caught it on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. 
and I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. 